What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Now let's kick this thing off. Tom Bilyeu is the founder and CEO of Impact Theory. In this conversation, we discuss everything from NFTs to intellectual property. I really enjoyed talking to Tom about this because he's got a very unique perspective on not only how to take this intellectual property and apply it to the digital world, but also the creation of brand new intellectual property versus simply going and buying legacy intellectual property. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. But before we get into this episode, let's first talk about our sponsors. First up is Matrixport. Have you lost your way in this low yield environment while searching for a better store of value to beat inflation? Look no further. Invest with Matrixport to get more from your crypto with the potential for high annualized yields on certain products. Matrixport is Asia's fastest growing digital asset platform founded by crypto veterans Jihan Wu and Zhang Ji. With $10 billion in assets under management and custody, Matrixport offers one stop crypto financial solutions, including fixed income, DeFi in one click, structured products, cactus custody, spot OTC, and lending. You can earn a high double-digit yield with the dual-currency product or opt for the lucrative potential of their new product, Range Sniper. If you hold crypto and are actively looking to do more with your precious assets, then this app is one you don't want to miss. Download the Matrixport app and enjoy a welcome offer of very high APY on fixed income for new users. Again, go either download the Matrixport app or go to matrixport.com today. Next up is Gemini. Gemini is a leading regulated cryptocurrency exchange, wallet, and custodian that makes it simple and secure to buy, sell, store, and earn Bitcoin, Ether, and over 40 other cryptocurrencies. They offer industry-leading security, insurance, and uptime. Gemini is the go-to trusted platform for beginner and sophisticated investors alike. Open a free account in under three minutes at Gemini.com slash POMP and get $20 of Bitcoin after you trade $100 or more within 30 days. Open a free account today, under three minutes, at Gemini.com slash POMP and get $20 of Bitcoin after you trade $100 or more within 30 days. All right, let's get in this episode. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Tom, how well, how are you doing? I'm good, man. How about you? I'm doing fantastic. I'm super excited to talk to you. Uh, I want to start first with NFTs in general. When I saw you out in LA when we did uh, uh, your show, one of the things that really struck me was you were like, look... During the pandemic, I realized that I was a great entrepreneur. I was great at making money. I didn't quite uh, put the focus and time that I thought that maybe I should have into being a great investor or understanding some of these more nuanced stuff. And as you went down that journey, you went to crypto, eventually to NFTs, et cetera. So maybe help us just understand, like, how do you look at NFTs uh, in general right now in kind of the global market, um, you know, and kind of how you think about that in terms of the time that you spend on this as well. Yeah. So if you're talking about from an investing standpoint, my thesis is probably very different from most people in the NFT space. So I came to NFTs as I came first. So I didn't have any interest, quite frankly, or understanding of the crypto markets until after I got into NFTs. So my thing was, I'm trying to build a studio, like a film studio, make TV shows. You know, our our NFT project right now is something called Merry Mods. It's a Christmas 
project that we're doing is going to have a feature script uh, next year. We did the 10K PFP drop this year. A lot of cool things going on with that, but all about storytelling and trying to connect with people on an emotional level. And so as I began to explore the technology of why that is going to be the blockchain specifically is going to be the most potent storytelling, community building uh, technology ever, as far as I can tell. Um, that led me to really understanding the fundamentals of the blockchain, which led me to understanding the fundamentals of the cryptocurrencies that use that technology. And then I was like, oh my God, like, as you begin to understand it, then I became a pretty avid investor. Um, I don't personally treat NFTs as a day trade. I know a lot of people do, just not my personality. It's not what I'm interested in pursuing. It's just so time consuming to be in there trying to like, you know, ride the, the sort of hype cycles. So what I'm, as a creator, what I'm trying to build is something that has a a lot less volatility, if you will, so that it grows steady over time. Um, That's really what we're focusing on. That's certainly how I buy NFTs as well. So of the, God, I don't even know how many NFTs I bought at this point, but hundreds uh, that I've purchased, I have sold maybe, I don't know, 5%. The rest I'm just holding. I want to see what that group does. So right now you've got a bunch of action figures and and uh, kind of uh, very very famous uh, characters that are all behind you uh, in your shot here. And one of the things that uh, I just love that you say is, "Look, we want to build the next Disney, right?" And and this has been something that you've been working on for a while now. Help us understand what exactly is that vision. And then when you think about that, is it just a replica of Disney, or is it Disney but for kind of this new world that we're all entering into? Yeah. So when we, uh, I'll give you a really fast thumbnail sketch of why we're doing it, which will help contextualize. So I've worked in the inner cities a lot. And what I found is that there are very extraordinary people. Intelligence is evenly distributed, but mindset is not. So the right frame of reference to uh, get the skills you guys were talking right before I came on that, you know, look, if you wiped everybody back to an equal amount of numbers, dollars that you would see something very similar play out again because skills matter so much. But there is a frame of reference that people get that make it very difficult for them to be willing to put in the time and the energy to gain the skills because they don't think it will take them anywhere. So looking at that problem, I wanted to say, okay, how do we solve for this? I had a thousand employees that had grown up really hard in the inner cities. And so my instinct was to just teach all the principles of business that I had learned only impacted about 2% of them. The other 98%, I realized I needed to hit them emotionally. It needed to be through story. And then as I really started looking at it, I realized that it needed to be for this particular brain development period called the age of imprinting, which is 11 to 15. That got me then really thinking about Disney and how they aimed largely at kids. And they had this just extreme discipline to only tell one kind of story. And by telling that one kind of story, they were actually able to sway culture, which ultimately is what I'm trying to do is to make an empowering mindset cool. And so by getting an empowering mindset, you then pursue the skills that are going to allow you to do the things you want in life. And there are movies like Star Wars, Karate Kid, Rocky that show that you can entertain people, which is an amazing story, but you can also embed real ideas. And so The Matrix became the dominant metaphor of my life, quite frankly. So it was very influential. But Star Wars is where it really began. It gave me Yoda, who led me to Taoism, and Taoism really changed my life. And so that's the kind of story that we want to build. And when we look at Disney, we're not trying to build a replica. We were looking for our moment of disruption. So five years ago, when we founded the company, I said, look, 
we have to stay in business long enough to find the moment of disruption to really be a meaningful contender against somebody who's been around for 90 years, uh, has billions of dollars of established IP and billions more in revenue. And so there really needs to be this moment where we can see something they don't see, move faster than they move and adopt sort of a new way of being in a way that they will struggle to do. And that's ended up being Web3. So for us, it's really building a studio in a Web3 way. And when you think about this, um, one of the things that uh, you mentioned to me that I thought was fascinating is you can basically sell the IP before you've even created the entire story or created, you know, whether it's a video, whether it's a book or, or whatever. Talk to us a little bit about how you're thinking about the development process of uh, what ultimately is just uh, intellectual property or content and how that changes with some of these technologies. Yeah. So what Web3 does is it gives you from a technological standpoint, a way to reward the people that get in on the project early. So take Mary Mods, for instance. So right now, if you believe in Mary Mods and you go pick it up and there's going to be a period where we're building and the the value is accruing slowly over time, right? I'm trying to not be that high volatile where it's like we throw a bunch of hype, it bounces, and then your sort of traditional crash. And so what we want to do is say, hey, this is a multi-year build. Here's the roadmap. Here's where this ends in, you know, a screenplay, uh, a video game, all of that. We've got that all mapped out on the roadmap. And it's if you want to go along for that ride, we're going to make sure that we offer you benefits that other people aren't going to be able to get as we go along. And so in doing that, now you're building this community because they're incentivized to see that project do well. When you have a way, that NFT, of giving them something that allows them to engage, even if the value that they're accruing is entirely emotional, they want more people to join in that. It makes it more fun. So now you have these evangelists that are really out there talking the project up, helping you build that momentum, helping it grow over time. And so that becomes this entirely new paradigm for the companies that can make the mental shift. Because now, instead of thinking of them as your customer or your audience, you really have to think of them as your community. And so there's a lot of co-creation and finding ways to engage them so that they can give crazy ideas on what might be a cool character or a way to take the story or even just get their reactions to things. So it becomes this infinitely more collaborative environment. And because we are making... You know, we make the money off the initial sale, but the vast majority of the value is going to be retained, you know, in the collectible. And so should they hold it or sell it, it's totally up to them. But we and on Mary Mods only have a 5% royalty. So that means if we're able to actually build value into this thing and they are to sell it at some point, they're going to capture 95% of that economic gain. And that's a really unique moment in time where you're audience, I was going to say, your community is able to capture that kind of upside, whether the upside is all the things that we do, because we focus a lot on utility. So whether it's just they're enjoying the utility by holding the collectible, or whether it's that we actually manage to get the value of the collectible to go up over a number of years, and then they're able to sell at that point. But either way, they're the ones that get a capture so this, this is fascinating to me because there's a lot of people who yell and scream and they don't like NFTs. There's a lot of people who like it, right? And and one of the things that I've always said is uh, if you think about, let's take uh, Superman. We'll, we'll just use that as uh, as an example. The Superman is intellectual property. It's got an entire story around it. It's everything from books to movies to uh, you know literally uh, costumes, uh, stuffed animals. I mean, it just it's applied everywhere. 
all the way to if you literally go to Disney World, right, and uh, some of these kind of theme parks or whatever, uh, or wax museums, like you can see the actual IP in physical. One of the things they sell is literally the physical figurines that are behind you, right? And so there's a way to take that IP and put it into a physical thing that somebody buys and they put it on a shelf. One example of an NFT that uses that type of IP would literally just be, hey, take the IP, put it into an NFT. Now I don't hold it on the physical shelf. Instead, I just hold it as a collectible, right? Literally, I'm just collecting it. And over time, if it's original or it's got something special to it, uh, the value increases. Just like the figurine, if you go back and you find, you know, the original uh, Superman figurine or whatever, it would have value. How do you think about the actual NFTs from a technology standpoint? Where does it intersect with this idea of intellectual property? Is it just like taking the character and putting it into an NFT? Is it taking the other components of like a set or a scene and doing it? Like, how do you think about like what actually gets turned into some sort of non-fungible token versus what is just existing in the IP or in the, you know, whether it's a, a, a video or whatever, but doesn't actually have any kind of use case for uh, NFTs? So I think that's going to be different by project. And I'll okay. give you a couple of examples. So right now with Mary Ma, um, we created the characters. And so in a very traditional PFP way, you can get one of those characters and you now have that um, connection emotionally is what we're going for around that character. There's four characters in the story. Some people collect them all, but like other people just, they pick the one that they like. And so now as you go along on the journey, you have that collectible. And for instance, the snowbow is the main character. And so for people that are interested in that character, they own that character. Now they're going to be more emotionally tied as we go through this journey. So as we cast the actor that's going to play them, like that's going to matter to them. So there you get that high degree of emotional engagement, emotional interaction. Take something like The Matrix. So they did their avatar project, but I could also see them if, if this were 1999, but blockchain technology existed, I will tell you, when I went to see that movie for the first time, and this, this will seem less uh, weird now because it, this has happened more, but at the time, I cannot tell you how strange the, the following moment was. I go in, I sit down, don't know what to expect. Movie opens and the cop goes, no, your men are already dead. They go upstairs to get Trinity. She jumps into the air and freezes for the first time and the camera moves around her. The entire theater leapt up and was screaming. It was the most insane moment I'd ever seen in a cinema. Now, if I could have walked out and bought that moment, so think of it as like an NBA top shot moment, right? And they only sell, you know, whatever, a hundred of those. And then I can actually get one of those and have that as a moment that I own. That would have been so huge for me. It was, it still remains to this day, one of the most magical movie going moments of my entire life. And so for me to be able to feel like I own that would be huge. And then if within the context of that, and I'm sure your audience well knows the whole right click save Tom, everybody could watch it. Why would anybody care to own it? One, humans just like to own things, but two, NFTs aren't just the image. Hiding within them is literal matrix code from the blockchain. And so Warner or whoever could end up doing things for people that have that. So for instance, let's take me, let's pretend I'm over here building impact theory, but I have this love for a movie that somebody else made, but it's very meaningful to me. And what I want to do is create an experience for the people that own that. So even though I didn't create it, we can create this sort of impromptu partnership where I could create a, an AR experience for them. I could give them access to something in the store. What, like, for instance, we haven't 
shown anybody yet. So I guess this is a, a little sneak peek, but we created in the Merry Mods collection, we actually have a one of one where our main character Snowbow is dressed up like Neo from the Matrix. So you can imagine where we could do something where we either gift that to them or we create like an AR experience where the two, uh, you know, the two characters meet. There's just so many different things that you can do that the blockchain allows for. So there will be many, many, many ways that companies find these emotionally relevant moments to turn it into something that people can own. And then the clever among us will find ways to add surprise and delight utility to those items. And so when you start to think about some of that like unlockable experiences, right? How do you think about the things that people want? So part of the beauty of uh, these digital technologies is that whether you're in the United States, whether you're somewhere in uh, South America, in India, or uh, somewhere in Europe, you can participate uh, in these uh, things. You can be anywhere in the world, doesn't matter who you are, where you went to school, what your wealth level is, you know, there's always a way to participate in these things. And so when you get that, uh, as long as you have an internet connection, but like as, as soon as you you get that in people's hands. An easy elementary example is like, oh, let's do a meetup. And if you have it, you can show up. Right. But obviously if everyone's on different continents, that becomes harder. So how do you think about the experiences or those like unlockable moments that people really want, but still understanding that you're probably going to have a pretty diversified holder uh, base or participation rate across mm. the entire world? Yeah. So one, the metaverse is going to play a huge role in this as people begin to aggregate in you know, pseudo physical spaces. Um, I think that's going to be really important. I think the, you know, you can just look at uh, of all of my investments, I'm in uh, Bitcoin, obviously I'm in ETH, I'm in Solana. And yet the thing that I've gotten the biggest gains out of on a percentage basis is sand in the sandbox. So when I did a, a land purchase, I don't know, whatever, eight months ago or something, uh, there happened to be money left over from that purchase. And I just forgot about it. I didn't even think about it. And I just, I kept seeing it like crawl up on my list of holdings. And uh, I was like, what is going on? And so I think there's going to be a lot of interest and engagement with gaming, with uh, metaverse, like where people can go and be in the same space and share an experience. I think that's going to be big, but I also think that there are going to be huge opportunities for surprise and delight in both the physical world and the virtual world. So you can imagine you're walking down the street and let's say that you have uh, one of the Mary mods in your wallet and you're walking in New York and all of a sudden on the ground appears this red dotted line. You're wearing your, your not yet invented or sold anyway, AR glasses. And on the ground, you see this little red arrow, or you see Snowbow and he's walking away from you, waving at you, telling, telling you to follow him. This is going to happen. And you follow him into either the most beautiful Christmas tree in all of New York or into a Christmas shop that is selling our items or uh, that offers a discount to Mary Mods holders. I mean, it, it really gets just absolutely gorgeous and entertaining and surprising. It, it's just, it really is going to be fun when this creativity becomes unlocked by the technology. And just so people don't have to believe, you know, in something that's in the future, you could do this right now with your phone. So, you know, one of the things that we'll be looking at in the coming years is really getting uh, into AR so that we can create those experiences. Now, could also happen the metaverse, same idea. You know, you see a door because you have a Mary Mods in your wallet, you see a door appear that your friend who doesn't 
doesn't see. And we can invite you into a special experience. So it, the ways in which this is going to impact people is legion. Joe, John, what questions do you guys have for Tom? Hey, Tom, how you doing? Thanks for Good. coming on. Uh, so mine's pretty simple. I want to know if you have any crazy wild predictions that people would say are insane about Web3, the metaverse, NFTs, et cetera. To me, the the sort of blanket statement is this is the most foundational change in our lives, in, in literally every aspect of our lives since the internet. So this is that kind of profound foundational change that will um, completely disrupt the way that businesses engage with their customers. Like even just the mere fact of thinking of them like customers is going to go away. And we have something, so we have two projects. We have the Impact Theory Founders Key, which is like our foundational layer. And then we have Marymods. So on the foundational layer of the Impact Theory Founders Key, uh, the top tier called Legendary has this thing called the right to partner. And this to me is, is the example of how everything is going to change. So the right to partner for us is, hey, we're making all of this intellectual property, Mary Mods and all the future things that we will do. And from that, for instance, we've already had somebody build a Christmas ornament company on the back of our intellectual property. And so this all started for me because I went to Warner Brothers and I tried to get the rights to the Matrix when they considered it a dormant franchise. So this is obviously years ago. It's since been rebooted. But at the time, they considered it a dormant franchise. They wanted hundreds of thousands of dollars just to have the conversation about me doing it as a comic book. And I was so frustrated by that, that I made myself a promise that as we began to build things out and become a studio, that we were going to be the easiest people in the world to partner with. And so the idea behind the right to partner is that, hey, we've created this IP. And if you've got a business that you think you can build off the back of that, go for it. There will be certain things you will have to abide by, no pornography, can't be derogatory towards the brand, things like that, but really light terms and conditions. And you make the first 500K unencumbered. So, hey, if you can go build that and make it, I'm all for it. Now, that is a literal inver inversion of the way that companies have thought about it up till now. And I think that most companies are going to have a near impossible time to make that leap, just emotionally to them. If you've come up in traditional business, it just... It seems impossible that the other person building on the back of the IP that you've spent all this money, time creating, that they would get to capture the first dollars. But for us, what we're looking for is, I don't know which of the companies is going to pop off. I don't know which of the entrepreneurs is going to have the ability to stick through. And by the way, people make fan art whether you want them to or not. And so by letting people be creative and letting them get out there and having what we call a verification program. So anybody that holds a legendary key can have one project at a time based on our IP where they're building something as long as it meets our terms and conditions. And then as they grow, if the crowd, you know, the community of impact theory is loving it and really believe in what they do, then it will make it to us for a formal review, at which point we can either choose to stamp it and say, this is canon or in universe, or, you know, just as a verified project that we're getting behind. And then we can deepen their relationship and begin to help with marketing and things like that. But that gives us the ability to use much more of a portfolio strategy where it's like, we might have 150 people trying to build on the back of this, many of them won't have the chops to pull it off, but some will, but at least everybody gets a chance to give it a shot. And I think that's really going to change things. John, what questions you got? Yeah, Tom, I'm John. Nice to meet you. <laughs> Same. Um, 
Can you talk about the different ways to make money in Web3 and NFTs besides kind of seems like a bunch of people are just pushing out like their own products and trying to market those or their own NFT uh, projects. Can you just talk about different ways that you've seen people make money or any ideas that you have? Yeah. So there are going to be, not only are there already a lot of ways, I think that there are going to be a lot more ways for people to do this. Um, one of the key things though, is figuring out what the, the legislation is going to be. So there are people that are doing um, basically DeFi techniques within the NFTs. I think it's super interesting. And my hope is that this really gets some uh, regulatory clarity. That would be incredibly helpful. If anybody from the SEC is watching, we would actually love to know what we can do. Um, but some of those DeFi mechanisms have really been powerful. And so giving people a chance by holding something and essentially staking it to earn, you know, some kind of reward. And then that thing that you earn, whether it's bananas, I know was one uh, that was very popular. You know, if you can do something interesting with those bananas, then you create this whole ecosystem. And by having created that banana and then it having real world tangible value, assuming that the company holds back some amount of that in their treasury, now as the value of that goes up, obviously their holdings are going up on that as well. And then I think as we get more into um, one of the things that we're really looking at, so we're about to, uh, towards the end of Q1 of next year, we are doing our custom avatar project. So basically taking the keys and giving the user this really cool experience where they can um, manifest that key into something that, you know, looks more like a PFP it won't necessarily have to look human, but that kind of idea. And so in creating that more in the way that a game company would create it so that you can actually go back and make changes as you go. So if you're feeling differently one day, you can change it. And so that will, the, you know, most of the items there will be free and will be based on engagement and things like that. So the more that you do and engage and all that, the more free stuff that you have access to, but then there'll also be an element of that, like in gaming where you can buy a, you know, rare skin or whatever. And so there'll be some things you can only earn your way to, and there'll be other things that you can buy your way into. And so in doing that, you're creating another stream of revenue. So there, and then of course, if you have a project, typically people have some uh, amount of royalty, whether it's, you know, 5% or 10%. So that you have that ongoing, as people are selling these, you have that ongoing revenue coming in. Tom, Right now, NFTs in total are probably uh, maybe tens of billions in market cap is my guess. Uh, true or false, you think that it could be a $10 trillion industry by the end of this decade? Yeah, if you're, if you're expanding it to all the ancillary stuff, no doubt. Like I'll give you a quick scenario of something that I know is going to happen and you'll begin to see just how much revenue this could end up driving. So um, let's say my last company, Quest Nutrition, Let's say that we partnered up. And so health and fitness remains a big thing for me. And what I want to do then is I go to Quest and I say, hey, let's partner on this thing. I'm going to create an AR experience where um, one of the characters that somebody has bought one of my NFTs, uh, let's just make it Snowbow to keep it interesting. So um, Snowbow shows up at the mall and through your AR, either your glasses or your phone, you see it. And we could put like a physical sign or something to let people know to take out their phone and look, but you look and you see Snowbow and Snowbow is, you know, waves you on, you go around the corner and there is this gigantic mech from the story. And you, you know, you're the only one that sees it if you're holding um, the, one of the NFTs in your wallet. And that thing reaches out and offers you a Quest protein bar. Now it's obviously not real, but you take that 
And you now have that is in and of itself an NFT that you now have in your wallet. And then a new line appears on the floor and it walks you to, let's say, a GNC where you can redeem that for an actual bar. And so there's going to be all kinds of partnerships, promotions, things like that, that will really begin to expand this. And then if you look into, um, so my brother-in-law is launching a chocolate company called Chocolate. And the thing about this that I think is incredibly interesting is he's working out an NFT strategy that would allow the early adopters the ability to determine what flavors he creates so that he creates this sort of... um, enclave of people, you know, relatively small group that buy this NFT in order to get into that sort of having massive influence, they become the taste testers. He knows he'll always be running batches for that number of people. And they get to have like a really big influence on the direction that he goes. And so as companies begin to integrate this stuff um, and give more perks in places that you wouldn't think, like physical, like a food company, you know, that kind of thing, integrating NFTs into that, it, it really is it is going to be limited only by people's imagination because the technology is unbelievable and we're really just scratching the surface. So my last question for you is obviously Disney is a very, very large company. It's got billions and billions of dollars of cash and revenue. They've got tons of IP. Uh, I don't know if you would want to do this or not, but if you wanted to buy Disney and then be able to move them from kind of the legacy analog world into something that's much more digital web three, et cetera, what would your plan be in order to how to buy Disney? Well, first of all, to buy Disney, let me, uh, let me sit at the feet of Disney for a second and acknowledge that they are a giant and they have done something that I am so far away from. Uh, So just fully acknowledging the breadth of that achievement. Um, I don't know that buying that would be the right play. I think that Web3 is young people are being trained to think in a totally different way. And I think that they're going to end up responding to a totally different set of companies with different IP and all of that. And that's sort of our bet is that this is the time to create an entirely new generation of IP. It will take time. There's no question that, you know, uh, the loop that I look at is when the child of one of like the people that owns, you know, let's say Mary Mods now, when their kid starts getting raised on this story and then they raise their kid, right? It's this multi-generational thing. That's what Disney has pulled off. And so to have the Disney kind of success, you really have to recognize that it's multi-generational and that there just is no way to skip that cue. And so the goal is how do you make the IP interesting and engaging enough you know, in the early days, so in year one, year two, that people are like, okay, cool. Like I'm in this, I'm investing emotionally. I'm getting to know the characters. I'm here for the long run. And that's where the real value is going to be accrued, at least the way that I'm doing it. Um, Because it, again, I'm not trying to do that like ultra high volatility where, you know, you look at something like Mechaverse and it spiked up and it was insane, but then it also came back down. They're still doing amazing. But because of the Delta from the height back to where they are, um, you know, there's some consternation. So um, looking at growing things over time in a, uh, a more sustainable fashion, that's really about having something where you're building emotional value over time to the execution of story. That's really what we're focused on. I love it, man. Where can we send people to find you on the internet or find out more about what you guys are building? 
at Tom Bilyeu on Twitter. Uh, if you want to know anything about what we're doing in the NFT and Web3 space, uh, and then founderskey.io if you're interested in the keys. And then OpenSea for both um, Founders Key and Mary Mods. Awesome, man. Listen, I uh, I just love your enthusiasm and, and your willingness to kind of relearn an entirely new thing uh, and go full force into it. So uh, congrats on all the success so far and uh, and please keep up the great work. We'll definitely have to bring you back to uh, talk about the progress as you guys continue on. Would love that, man. Thank you so much for having me on. All right. Sounds good. See you later, buddy.